I don't know how you've been enjoying your run in to Easter. You know, lots of us do different things as we kind of head to Easter. We observe it in different ways. I know, has anyone been following Lent? Did it, had anyone given anything up for Lent? Yeah, a couple of us, maybe. My wife gave up chocolate for Lent. She's been reminding me this every day. It's been hard work uh, for us all uh, in the house. And uh, so today is a great feast day. Uh, some of us like to prepare ourselves by observing uh, Lent and tracking uh, through to Holy Week uh, with some kind of fasting and sort of self kind of observance, really thinking about uh, the things that we hold dear and preparing ourselves. You know, then we hit into Holy Week, which we've just had, and we have Palm Sunday. We celebrate Jesus arriving at Jerusalem, and, uh, and then we track through the week. I, I know a few of us ended up doing some meals on Thursday night. Different groups were gathering. The invitation was to host or be hosted, and, uh, and different groups throughout the church just got together, uh, groups of mates, just to have a supper together, to remember Jesus' last supper with his friends. Some of you came on Friday morning, in here on Friday, on Good Friday, we had uh, just some wonderful, just creative, reflective stations from 10 till 12, people being able to just come and just hang out and just to, just to think about Jesus' journey to the cross. On Friday evening, we had a, a kind of an insane praise party. <laughs> we, uh, it, was a, it was amazing. Those of you uh, that were here will know. Uh, those of you that weren't, you missed out. One of the most amazing, like, insane praise parties that we had. Just think, I guess, reflect, wondering at Jesus and all he did uh, on the cross for us. You know, we observe our journey to Easter uh, in lots of different ways. And really, no matter how we do it, it tends to be full of signs and symbols signs of our faith you know whether if you were here on good friday there was an opportunity to have your feet washed this sign the symbol of servanthood we we thought about bread and wine these signs of our faith we looked at the nails and the cross these are the great signs of our faith and i, and I know a little bit about signs so my daughter i've got a little girl who's six years old she's called adelaide and she's deaf and, uh, and so we've had to learn a little bit about signing, about signs in our house. And, uh, and I was reminded of this last night, actually, as I, as I put Adelaide to bed. And uh, Whenever I put Adelaide to bed, uh, she has two stories, very specific about that, two stories. And so I said, Adelaide, you just go and choose your stories really quickly, and then I'll come and read to you. So she went and she chose two stories. So there was uh, a story about a crocodile who'd lost his smile. And then there was uh, her second story was a book that she had made when she was in nursery with pictures of all of uh, her friends in her nursery class and their sign names. So all of her class had sign names and, uh, and she was taking me through this book. And, uh, and, and, and so some of the sign names were based on people's characteristics. As you know, someone's sign name was this because they had curly hair. And, uh, but then we got to, to some interesting sign names. So this person's sign name was basically purple because they liked the colour purple. And she went, okay, it's, this is the sign for their name. I said, but Adelaide, that's not the sign for purple. Like, that's P. You know, but this is purple. And she went, ah, oh, it's just a different sign. And so then we got to another one, and their sign name was yellow, uh, and which is like this. And I was like, but no, no, that's just the sign for Y. That's not the sign for yellow. The sign for yellow is like that. And she went, no, no, it's just a different sign. <laughs> it's fine. And then we got to, to Rosa. And so Rosa's sign name is this, like a flower. You know, Alice. Alice's sign name is that, which is a boat because she likes boats. And so we were going through anything. Actually, you know, the interesting thing about signs and sign language is actually signs, signs only really mean stuff when you give them meaning, you know? Signs make sense when you give them meaning. And you know, I wrote an MA essay 
about this. You might not think I look clever enough to write an MA essay, um, but I did a couple. And I wrote an, an MA essay on semiotics, which is kind of the, the science of signs and meaning. Uh, and it's fascinating. In fact, the, the essay they actually wrote was all about, it was about dress, it was about clothing and how uh, our clothing can act as a sign and, and we attribute different meaning uh, and we interpret one another through the things that we wear and the signs that we put on our body. Um, but, you know, signs are an important part of how we understand who we are and how we understand our faith. And in the lead up to Easter, we see so many signs. And another sign of our faith is Jonah, is the book of Jonah. And um, you might think, well, what is that all about? You know, why is Jonah a sign of our faith? Well, Jonah, Jonah is a story, as we've been learning over the last few weeks, of second chances. It's a story about grace. It's a story about how God uses a messed up guy to reach out to a messed up city to offer second chances. It, and I would put to you that actually Jonah is really a story about resurrection. And, uh, and I'm not saying this just because I think it's a good idea, but I've been told this on uh, good information from a guy called Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 12, we read about a kind of a little, kind of an argument that Jesus was having with some of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his time. And they were challenging him about about the way that he was operating. In fact, he'd just been doing a whole load of healings and casting out demons, and, and, and the crowds gathered around him. They said, who, who are you really? You know, are you really a good guy? You know, or are you someone we should be concerned about? And they basically said, look, give us a sign to show us who you really are. And they were really pushing him and challenging him. And you, as you read the story, you can kind of see that it's, getting, it's kind of getting to Jesus. And, and he kind of answers them back. And he says to them this. He says, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign. It's quite cutting, you know, but Jesus comes back to him. He says, an evil generation is asking for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is saying Jonah is a sign of what is about to come. So really quickly, I'm just going to remind us of a little bit uh, of the first couple of chapters of the story of Jonah. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatari, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship that was bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went abroad and he sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up and all the sailors were afraid. Each cried out to their own God and they started to throw their cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell asleep in a deep sleep. Now the captain went to him and he said, how can you be asleep at this time? Call up on your God. Maybe he will notice us and he will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots and the lots fell onto Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble? 
for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? Uh, What people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And, And this terrified them and they asked, well, what have you done? They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Now the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, Jonah replied, and it will become calm. For I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows to him. And now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep, in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the sea. And the current swirled about me and your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed has wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord, my God, brought me up from the pit. When the life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Why don't you quickly pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible story that we've been able to look at over these past weeks. Thank you for this incredible day today that we get to look at it once more. And Jesus, we pray that you would challenge and encourage us now with your word. Amen. Amen. So Jonah is a story that many of us will know really, really well. And it would have been a story that the people that Jesus was talking to knew really, really well. And in fact, it's a great story. But Jesus says, actually, not only is it a great story, but this is an important story. And Jesus imbibes the story of Jonah with meaning, with new meaning. And it's incredible, isn't it, actually, as we look back, as we kind of look back through history, which we have the opportunity to do, and we look at the story of Jesus alongside the story of Jonah, and we see there are, in fact, so many parallels, so many things to compare and contrast. 
We had a little drama this morning, and I just noticed uh, the youth did this for us, and this was, this was one of the lots that was cast as Jonah was thrown out of the ship. Hey, you know, there were lots in Jesus' story too, as they cast lots to divide Jesus' clothes as he hung on the cross. You know, both stories feature an episode outside of the city. You know, in Jonah's case, we know that Jonah went to the city and, and preached destruction, but the compassion of God came in and Jonah ends up outside the city walls, raging, concerned about the compassion of God that he saw. Yet in Jesus' story, we see Jesus outside the walls of a different city, weeping with compassion for that city. And of course, as Jesus is eventually led to the cross outside of that city, he shows God's compassion in the most incredible way. You know, Jonah is cast into a raging sea in order to bring peace and calm. Whereas Jesus is cast onto a raging cross in order to bring peace to all, calm to all. Jonah is swallowed by a fish, and for three days and three nights, that's where he stays. Jesus descends into death for three days and three nights. We read Jonah's prayer here in chapter 2, and actually it's interesting. Jonah prays kind of this sacrifice of praise. Uh, and actually in many versions it talks uh, about this place, Sheol. He says, my prayer comes from Sheol, which is, which is the place of the dead. This translation in NIV just translates that straight up. You know, Jonah saying, I'm lifting up a sacrifice of praise from the place of the dead. You know, where Jesus descends to death, Itself, And actually, while he's there, uh, actually, uh, a sacrifice of praise himself, he sets about releasing the captives of death, defeating death itself. You know, Jonah is kind of raised to life, if you like, kind of raised up and spat out from the mouth of the fish. Jesus is raised to life from the mouth of the tomb. Jonah gets up and he preaches, and it leads to repentance Jesus gets up and he preaches and it gives us the opportunity for repentance. You know, this is a story about forgiveness, whichever one you read. A story about the opportunity for us to come close to our God. You know, Jesus is basically saying, look, this story that you see in Jodah is foreshadowing something that is going to happen. You know, I don't want you to miss this. You know, Jesus gives this story of Jonah, this sign of Jonah, new meaning. And I, and I think that this must have been an interesting thing for these people that heard Jesus say this. Because I imagine, actually, the story of Jonah to be a, quite a troubling story for the people of God who were constantly at war with their neighbours, constantly uh, up against their enemies. And this story of Jonah is really a story about God showing compassion on the enemies of his people. Uh, and we know, actually, when we read to the end of chapter 4, it kind of doesn't resolve and it leaves hanging this question that God poses, well, should I not be compassionate for this great city it's never resolved and I wonder if this story would have would have jarred 
this kind of legend of this prophet Jonah. But here Jesus comes in and says, look, this story is important because there is a meaning here that goes beyond what you see in this story that's been told over time. This story of grace, of forgiveness and of mercy. Actually, this story is happening again for you. In fact, Jesus even goes one step further when you read uh, the account of this conversation he has with the Pharisees. In Luke's account, he goes on and he says, look, the people of Nineveh, well, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something even greater than Jonah is here before you. You know, Jesus is saying that that was a story of repentance and grace and mercy. But what is coming is even It's almost like Jesus uh, is saying, look, if only you could see who I really am. If only you could see that I have come down so that you might be lifted up. And as I was thinking about this message uh, for today, I kind of, I thought, I want to call this message today, down, 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 up, up, up. Down, down, down. Up, up, up. Because this is the kind of trajectory that you see happening uh, in both of these stories. You know, there's a really interesting thing that we see at the beginning uh, of this story uh, of Jonah, which is why I wanted to read it again today. Kind of a narrative device that the author uses. Because uh, at the beginning of the story, Jonah goes down five times. I don't know if you noticed that. Jonah goes down five times. Firstly, we read in verse 3 that he goes He goes down to Joppa, which is the port. He then finds a ship and he goes down onto it. Uh, Once he's gone down onto the ship, he goes down into the inner parts of the ship and falls asleep. Eventually the storm comes and he is thrown overboard and the word used in scripture literally means to be cast down into the waves. Eventually the fish swallows him and he sinks down to the bottom of the ocean. Jonah goes down, down, down. And I wonder if sometimes we find ourselves going down, down, down. We can feel down. There's so many things in life, isn't there, that pull us down, you know, a relationship that's soured, a, a business that's not going well, a, a study that's, that's difficult, maybe we, we drop out, you know, neighbours that we clash with, family members that we struggle to love. There are so many things in life that pull us down, sickness, in health, stories like we hear today from Sri Lanka. You know, our heads get pulled down. You know, I was thinking about this and I thought, actually, we see this on the train all the time, don't we? I think this is almost like a picture uh, of the human condition. You know, so often we look around a train these days, don't we? And we just see everyone like this, don't we? This is what, this is what it looks like. You know, not just on trains, but wherever we go, this is what we see. Head down. And I just wonder if, you know, I don't want to just sit here and like, you know, we always like slam phones and social media and whatever in church, you know. There's some great things 
here. There's some great blessings that we get from these devices. But so often, you know, I think this is a picture of humanity that we just head down, head down. And actually we know that these things are a huge source of just self-absorption, self-critique, kind of you know, of comparing ourselves with others in a way that's unhealthy, of just being plain distracted from the things that we should be doing. You know, all of these things that pull us down, that help us to feel down on ourselves, down on others, just let down. You know, in fact, some of these technologies, you know, there's lots of reports out at the moment about how maybe these things are contributing to depression, to anxiety today. I was reading a, a report from the World Health Organization about depression and anxiety. And, and you know, we know that this is, this is a really serious and complex issue for us in our day to work through. Uh, but the reality is it's serious. It's a serious thing for us to think about. Uh, I was reading uh, just from the World Health Organization that now you know, depression is a common mental disorder. Globally, more than 300 million people of all ages suffer from depression. You know, the burden of depression and other mental health conditions is on the rise. Uh, and the World Health Organization say this is a crisis and we need to have a national response across the world to think about how we deal with this crisis. We know it is complex. We know it's not easy to talk about. We know with depression and mental health at its worst, it can lead to suicide. I was reading in this report, shockingly now, the second leading cause of death in 15 to 29-year-olds is suicide. Shocking. So many things in this world that drag us down. We need to respond you know, and actually a lot of the response is actually dealing with some of the stigma attached to these things. You know, you might have heard the phrase, uh, it's okay to not be okay. You know, it's a good phrase and it reminds us, you know, actually it's okay to not be okay. And we need to be able to, we need to, be able to talk about these things. We need to be able to get it out there. But, you know, I just wonder actually if we need to, we need to increase that phrase, you know, it's, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And I think that that is the message of resurrection. The message that we see in both of these stories. You know, because the narrative doesn't end with going down. There is a change in the trajectory. A change in the narrative. That is the whole point of Easter Sunday. The whole point of resurrection is that the direction of travel has changed. You know, we see in Jesus' story, Jesus comes down from heaven. And on the earth, he kneels down in the dust to wash people's feet, to heal the sick. Jesus is beaten and he is pushed down onto a rough and rugged cross. And then he is taken down from that cross and he is buried down into a tomb where he then descends into the place of the dead on a rescue mission and a mission to beat and defeat death itself. 
because the narrative then begins to change. From there, Jesus comes up. He comes up and out from the tomb. I don't know if you remember this story, you know, these few days after Jesus has, has risen, he's come up from the tomb and then he goes, he meets his followers, his disciples, and they go up to a mountain. And on that mountaintop, Jesus commissions his followers and he says to them, go, go. He says to them, look, it's changed. The direction of travel has changed and your job, your commission is now to go and to tell people that down is not the end. Go, make disciples of all nations. Jesus comes up from the tomb. He goes up to the mountain and then he ascends up into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father and as he goes back to sit with God the Father, the Holy Spirit is released to live inside of each one of us, to empower us to live in the way that God has commissioned us to. You know, but where does Jesus meet us? You know, he doesn't meet us on the mountain. He meets us in the dust. You know, Jesus comes and meets us, each one of us, in our, in our pain. And then it's in our pain that he gives us purpose, he commissions us, and then he gives us power as the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. He meets us in our pain, he gives us purpose, and he releases in us his power. The trajectory is up. And actually, this is the language of Scripture. This is what we see throughout Scripture. You know, right from the start, in fact, the psalmists get this, don't they? You know, I'm sure lots of us uh, will know Psalm 121. You know, I lift my eyes up unto the mountains. Where does my help come from? You know, and then the apostles, you know, the writers of the New Testament, they, uh, they, they talk about this stuff all the time. Peter, he says, humble yourselves under God that he might lift you up. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Yeah, and then James, the brother of Jesus, he says it again. James says, humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you you up. You know, Paul, probably the greatest writer in the New Testament, certainly wrote most of it. He says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. You know, the message of Easter, what we celebrate today is that God raises us up to seat us with Jesus. Up, up. You know, the message of Jesus, the message of resurrection, the sign of Jonah says the trajectory has changed. It is no longer down, 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 but it's up, up, up. You know, the only sign that you will ever need has already been given as the Son of Man, Jesus, was lifted up. We're going to finish by thinking about a really famous verse, you know, a verse that I'm sure many of you will know, John 3, 16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And, um, you know, one of the great things about John 3, 16 is it comes after John 14, 3, 14, and John 3, 15. And if you read John 3, 14, 15, 
and 16, this is what it says. It says, the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes might have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, we thank you that your gift, your free gift to us is life. Jesus, we thank you that with you, the trajectory has changed. That with you, we get to be raised up. And so, Jesus, as, uh, uh, as, as Peter says to us there in his book, we want to come to you today and cast all our anxieties on you because we know that you care for us. Jesus, we want to humble ourselves before you because we know that it is you who will lift us up. Jesus, praise you for all that you have done, for all that you are, for all that we get to celebrate on this day, on every Sunday, and in fact, every single day. Praise you for your presence, Jesus.